This is Women and Justice, and my name is Dr. Shantae James. For this episode, I wanted to enter the administrative offices of the academic world. I only briefly dipped my toe at this level, so I knew to go to someone with years at this location, Dr. Cindy Manjonas. She's an experienced leader with demonstrated successful career working in the higher education and healthcare administration. We're really good friends, so you will notice within this episode, I hit her with some hard questions. Let me turn over the mic as she officially introduces herself and highlights her body of work as it relates to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Um, Well, as far as my body of work related to this podcast, I've worked with a lot of different criminal justice programs in academia over the past almost 20 years that I've spent in academia. In addition to that, I have worked with a lot of um, community economic development organizations and other community developed organizations that work in partnership with various law enforcement agencies. And I've done everything from fundraising to helping with community relations to proctoring sergeant's exams to, you know, a variety of different things like that um, as well. And then in addition to that, what I always tried to do was raise awareness within the community as far as women in justice at Kaiser University. Um, we had a women in law enforcement panel, which was always one of our most popular panel discussions every year and quite a few people came to that. So I think what I really try to do is increase um, visibility and and help, you know, community relations and things like that as well. Okay, so I'm going to step you back because let me uh, preface (laughs) this uh, discussion by saying to everyone in the audience, we are really good friends. Uh, We haven't seen each other in forever, though. But you know how when you you have those friends where you can just call and say, hey, I need this favor. Um, She stepped up and said, well, let me help you out. So I'm going to totally let me say this clearly now. I'm totally going to take advantage of that. (laughs) No problem. All right. So with that being said, let's start off with especially with your experience, how do you see the definition of women just changing over time? How do we, how do you think our society and our culture define women? You know, that is the, what is that? The $64,000 question. Yes, I think that's very what my mom loaded. used to say. That very was a game loaded. show. Um, but I, I did a little bit of research too, and I, I looked into mainly higher ed, but then, you know, I've looked at a lot of different agencies and things like that too. And now it's interesting. Women have a third of chief executive positions in higher education and about 48% of the chief academic officer. And then in 2022, 33% of college presidents um, and then at various levels of the C-suite were women. And this has only increased three points since 2016. And what's interesting about that whole thing, and I say that to say this, women-led institutions, according to Inside Higher Ed, employ more women in higher positions, and also there's greater pay equity for women in women-led institutions. So I think that um, that that's an interesting factor. Now, kind of flipping the script to women in law enforcement agencies, you know, in community relations, for example, the small community where I lived in Illinois, I think they had 60 police officers in that particular agency and they only had four women. 
So if they had a case where they needed a woman officer for, you know, various reasons, it was sometimes difficult and a challenge to do that. And I had asked quite a few questions about why. And the thing I seemed to get resoundingly was they couldn't pass the physical exam. So I found that both troubling and interesting as well. And, you know, it's, it's a challenge as far, I think women are increasing in stature in the workplace, and I think that we're gaining greater value, but much like any kind of diversity and equity and inclusion conversation that we would have, you know, it's just not there yet. The equity is just not there yet. I know men who've been in the field as long as I have, who make hundreds, you know, lot more money than I do. And money is not always the most important thing. I'm going to say that right now. To me, it's more of an emotional gratification and giving back to the community. But let's just face it, money is important. And that equity is just not there. Okay. I am quite aware that you've been in the C-suite uh, quite yes. a bit. <laughs> and yeah. with that, how have you seen the roles or the structure change in including women, excluding women, or where do you see that reality? Because I know um, because we're friends that oftentimes you were the only woman in the room. Um, yeah. So I'm just trying to get a sense from you. How did all of that play out? Uh, sometimes it played out well, and sometimes it was challenging, to be quite honest. Um, where it was challenging is if I was too assertive, um, I don't know if I can say that word or not, but let's just say it was not perceived well. Um, and it's a word that starts with a B. I won't say it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and then if you were too soft, you were considered too wishy-washy. So you had to really work hard to find that middle ground. And sometimes when men walked in, it was instantaneous respect because of their title and then sometimes I would walk in the room and they'd say, well, can you get me a coffee or can you get me this? And being the servant leader that I am, I usually would do that while grumbling under my breath a little bit. Now, that being said, I have been in conversations in some, some areas where it hasn't seemed to matter. And ironically, that was in most of the nonprofit agencies where I volunteered my time because, you know, there were both men and women leaders almost on equal equal par in those organizations. And it didn't seem to matter because we all had the primary goal of that nonprofit in mind as we were working together. But I think sometimes there's a lot of jockeying, jockeying for position and kind of pushing people you know, up and down, whether it's intentional or non-intentional. And um, there were times candidly when I had to just say, let's step back. We need to speak civilly to each other. And I felt like in many cases, I was the mediator or the mom, you know, trying to get people on that even even keel where they were talking to each other with respect. And, you know, that was was difficult sometimes. Um, but, you know, it was something I chose. I chose to be in that position. So it was something that I just um, dealt with. And there was a lot of verbal sparring a lot of times that would go on. And um, I could tell stories, but it might disclose some of the some of the institutions. And I don't want to do that. Don't do that. Look, I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was it wasn't always all bad. You know, like I said, there were some male leaders who gave a tremendous amount of respect. Um, one of the institutions that I worked at, it 
still has not to this day had a female president and it's been around since the mid 1800s. So, um, and then when you go on the flip side of that, I think it took Brown University a couple hundred years to have a female African-American president, which that was pretty cool. And that hasn't been too long ago. So I am seeing glimmers of hope here and there, um, but, you know, and, and it seems to be, I, I'm kind of an idealist, I guess. It seems to be increasing. And I'm also, I, I try to be positive and, and look at the increase, but, you know, you still got to realize where we've came from at this point, and we're just still not there yet. And then understanding where we're where we're going, I would say, is part of the problem that we don't really have a infrastructure in place to ensure one that there's a woman there, and then the sustainability for. Her. I think that's a lot of it, infrastructure and changing people's perceptions and changing the culture. Changing culture is not an easy thing to do um, or a male dominated culture, whether that's academia or whether that's law enforcement or whatever it is. And some of the things I would hear when working with some of the law enforcement officers would be, wow, she's good. She does her job just like a man. You know, and that that was a compliment to them. Right. You know, and I, you know, if, if I told one of them they did their job like a woman, I don't think it would have been received in the same, um, in the same capacity. But as far as where it's going, I think it's going in the right direction. It's just going very, very slowly. Um, and, you know, some deliberate things. I mean, I think it's getting better now with the focus on diversity and inclusion that I've seen over the past few years. 20 years ago, we didn't have DEI officers. We didn't have, you know, a lot of these positions we have now. And I think that those kind of things are going to help. But again, to change culture, it's not something you can do overnight. And it's not something that's going to happen overnight. You have to have deliberate, methodical, tactical strategies to do that. You can't just hire a woman because she is a woman. She should always be the most well-qualified person. But, you know, sometimes it, it's hard to see that. And women oftentimes, if they've chosen maybe to take some time off and raise children, or if men have done that as well, that gap in employment is, you know, easy to understand. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a challenge. It's not an easy thing that's going to happen overnight. Like I said, I'm encouraged. I think we're taking steps in the right direction. Okay. So let me flip it, especially with <laughs> the call for now with DEI programs to get rid of them. Um, mm -hmm. I hear you on the change in culture, but I question whether or not we're shifting to this old model. So if we go back to the old model, then I'm wondering, do we need policy in place to ensure that a location is inclusive? Yes, we do. Um, and, and I'm in Florida. I could have mentioned earlier, I apologize. I didn't. <laughs> no, Florida okay. has had, let's just say, some pretty significant challenges in the education area. And I'm not going to get into a political discussion today, but I think that that needs to be said. Um, you know, I think. Part of the reason why they're, they're getting rid of those positions, it, it might be legislated, it might be demanded, um, as some of that has been down here, or it could be that they still don't see the value of those positions and their newer positions. So they haven't had a chance to 
prove their value to that organization. But if those positions don't exist, then absolutely, there needs to be some kind of clearly defined policy or something in place that says, you know, this is how we're going to treat people. This is how we're going to act. This is how we're going to observe them, assess them, reward them, you know, all of those different things that go into place. And, you know, I'd like to think the idealist in me would like to think we'd all do this automatically, but we won't. You know, that's like that's like having a speed limit. 55 is a suggestion on (laughs) I-95 and on the turnpike here. 55 is not the law. 55 is a suggestion. And if you're going 55, you're probably getting ran over. So, um, you know, it's we as a society just, you know, we're just not there yet. We could look at some other countries and, you know, get some examples of good, strong female leadership in Finland and in a few other places as well. But then there's going to always be those people who are going to nitpick little different things that aren't as good. You know, so not it, it's not a perfect world. We're imperfect at best. So in us being imperfect, then I think it's appropriate at this juncture to say to you, what is justice? Especially in the, you've got all that academic experience and you've been <laughs> yeah. in the rooms where um, decision, and when we say C- C-suite, we're talking about with administration and stuff. So you have been in the rooms where decisions were made for many Um, so how do you achieve that justice to include a variety of voices? I would, I would ask you, or, or I need to ask you. Yeah. Well, the challenge with justice is all of our own individual interpretations of that are colored by our backgrounds and our experiences. So while there's a textbook definition of justice, which is basically equal and fair treatment, irrespective of any perceived differences, Um, then what comes into play is the interpretation of that definition. And we can't force or impose our, or we can't, or we shouldn't, let me say, force or impose our beliefs on others. But as far as justice, justice to me would be hearing all the facts of the case, the facts with the emotion removed, just what we know, what is factual, what is you know, there's not a debate about it being factual. It is what it is in this situation. And then weighing the options that you have at that time. I've also participated over the years in prison ministry. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did. But <laughs> yeah. And it um, it was always interesting to me because I, I would have people give me trouble about that all the time. And they'd say, you believe they're all innocent. And I said, no, not all of them. Some of them will clearly tell you, I did it. I'm not sorry. I'm here because I'm being punished. But then there are others where there's a little bit of a gray area where you got to stop and think, well, you know, maybe that's not the right thing. And I also was involved a little bit um, down here and had in Florida and had talked to this individual who she was being held on bond and her bond, what she would have had to pay was a hundred dollars in order to get out of jail, but she didn't have a hundred dollars and none of her family had a hundred dollars. So she'd been in jail for a few weeks now. And I tell you that to tell you this, it costs far more than a hundred dollars a day to house and take care of a prisoner. So that to me is not justice and does not make sense, or it's an inefficient justice system at best. 
Um, justice is equal, equal treatment, like I said, irrespective of any differences, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're African-American, whether you're, you know, whether you're gay, whether you're Catholic Baptist, you know, what, whatever the thing might be, you know, we have to be respective of each other's differences. I can disagree with your beliefs, but still be respect, respectful to you. And I think part of justice is respect and respect's kind of lacking in society in some areas today. Okay. So how would you suggest us, cause we try to give the audience. Okay. So here are the first, you know, here's some steps. Um, what do you <laughs> see as some steps for us to go in that direction, especially with you being in Florida? Uh, cause my first thought when someone says Florida, I'm like, well, they're really divided, you know, but that's across yeah. the country. <laughs> um, so how do we get to a point where, you have that respect, but I think what's the bigger question for me, um, how do you get to the point where we start to listen to each mm -hmm. other? Well, you've got to have a conversation and a conversation means both people are talking and it's not being dominated. So in order to have those, like if you're having a debate or you're having even a public panel discussion or whatever, one of the key things is you've got to have a strong moderator that's going to step in and say, Okay, Dr. James has had her say, now let Dr. Manjonas say something, you know, and something as, as simple as someone guiding that conversation, but also taking the time to listen to people you think are completely the other spectrum of you, you know, whether you're, you're left wing, right wing, however you want to classify yourself, you can't keep the blinders on and not listen to that. Now we can't force people to listen. You know, that's that's just a given and we shouldn't force people to listen. They've got to want to do it themselves and I think one of the things we need to do as well too the media is very um challenged, stilted, you know, whatever word you want to use. Okay. I think that's um, gravitates fair. Toward, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the politically correct stuff. I know, because there's um, a little caution there. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Gravitates toward the negative sometimes because that's what all people see. And, you know, sometimes having a positive, you know, a positive conversation or something, you know, out in the community, a church I'm affiliated with down here, um, over the past week, they called it Love Week. And basically what they did is they sent 1,800 church members, went out into the community and did everything from cleaning up yards to going into elder care facilities to packing lunches or, you know, um, dinner for the homeless to, you know, just almost anything that you could imagine. And if you would have seen the groups of people that were going out to do that, they didn't all look alike. You know, but they accomplished something really great in that week period of time, but you didn't see it on the news. You know, and, and it was that could have been the organization's fault for not publicizing it properly. But I think, you know, and I've had people call me naive to my face, but I'm not going to change the way I believe in others and I believe in society because I have hardcore examples of success stories. One of the, um, when I was doing prison ministry 20 some years ago, and um, it was in Missouri, this uh, young lady I was talking to, she was in there for a variety of different things. And um, she even, while she was still incarcerated, they diagnosed her with cancer and didn't give her 
you know, any chance of survival, but she was a woman of faith and she not only survived it, she thrived. She got out of jail. She got her MBA. She got her JD and now she's getting her PhD. Wow. And she is working on a pardon and I'm trying to help her with that. And I always said when I did prison ministry for the hours, I don't even know how much I did. I couldn't even tell you if it saved only one person, then I'd accomplished my job. And I won't say that I saved her. I didn't save her. I spent a lot of time with her, but I contributed to that, to her being a vital member of society. And now she's not only vital, she, I think she's going to change the world for a lot of people. It sounds like it. And it sounds like one of the things that I love about your personality is that you invest. Mm -hmm. You invest in a person, um, regardless of what's coming next, which is so powerful. All right, we are getting close to time. <laughs> I know it goes so fast. <laughs> it goes so fast. Yes. Okay. So what would you like to leave us with? What, you know, as we're looking at women and justice and kind of pulling the veil down. Um, I heard you on the equity and pay. I heard you on the respect. What's another avenue you feel like, don't forget about this? Don't go into something with preconceived ideas of what a person's like, what they're going to be like because of their history, because of the color of their skin, because of whatever gender that they are. Or, or whatever pathway of life that they've chosen, don't go in there with a predetermined list of how you think they're going to be. Try to go into any conversation with an open mind and with the blinders off. Because if you have blinders on, you're going to be focused right in front of you and you're not going to see what's over here or what's over here. And you're going to miss some world experiences that might change your life. So try to open your eyes and don't be afraid to speak up for those who can't seem to speak up for themselves. And don't be afraid to be the lone dissenter in a room. I always said, I've never yet been on a jury. I probably shouldn't say that because now I'll probably be selected for one. Yes. But <laughs> I honestly would not be afraid to be the lone dissenter if I really felt strongly about what I was doing, because to me, that's a serious thing, you know, and sometimes people can't always stand up for themselves. So and by standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves, more of us are standing together too. And when you're standing together, it makes it a little bit easier. All right. So I gotta, I gotta drill a little <laughs> bit into that before we go. Okay. So okay. when you're taking off the blinders, mm -hmm. do you see that as a conscious step that we have to take, or is it something that's ingrained in us that we may not tap? I think it's a conscious step we have to take um, because we all have blinders in some area and you have to actually remove those blinders. I tell you, also having grown up on a farm, the horses love it when you take the blinders off. They don't like it when you put them on because it limits them. And what the blinders are doing is limiting us. And so we have to make a conscious, deliberate effort to get them out of the way. I'd like to think that if we make that conscious, deliberate effort long enough, it will become unconscious and common, but that's going to take a while. Okay. And then the last thought as you were closing us out, I need to ask you, it seems like you always want the person to be standing in that action mode in the sense of you kind of ended us off with saying, sometimes you have to stand there and speak up for someone who can't. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So are you calling for the audience to always be at that call of action stance or just to be mindful of the blessings that you have and then know that other people don't have those, just don't automatically think that everyone has those blessings? I think it's more being mindful because we can't always be action action heroes all the time (laughs) or energizer bunnies all the time. We have to be mindful. And I've done a lot of studies on that too, to see what it actually means to be mindful. And being mindful is essentially being in your present situation and um, recognizing everything that's, that's going on around you. And being mindful means paying attention to what you're doing. Um, If you're in a meeting and we've all been guilty of this. I know I have been not texting, you know, not (laughs) kicking your feet under the table, wondering when it's going to be over. But being present in your situation is what being mindful is and being mindful of your actions, how they can. Maybe they don't affect somebody right now, but they might down the road and realizing there are very few actions in this world that don't have some kind of repercussion. And I'm not saying be paranoid. I'm just saying be aware. And, you know, I think that's the best advice that I could give anyone. All right. Thank you (laughs) so much for this favor. Thank you so much for the interview and being open. Um, Just thank you. Thank you for being you. Well, it is my honor and pleasure to be here. And um, I haven't got your book yet, but I'm going to get your plug in here. (laughs) But, you know, I I am honored to be a part of this. And I just think, you know, these are the kind of conversations we have that are going to change things. And whether 10 people, 200 or 2 million see this and we go viral, I don't care. I would say everything the same way. Thank you. (laughs) All right. One of the great things that I love about doing this podcast is that I'm able to turn to good friends who will give you the hard truths about so many positions and where women fit. Take the time today to really reflect and ponder over the information she gave you. As always, have a great day. But before we go, don't forget, November the 14th, Yes, this year, my third book comes out. It's a cozy. But before that date, I have quite a few speaking engagements and book signings. So look me up on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Have a great day.